This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Liam O'Rourke, author of Crazy Like a Fox, the definitive chronicle of Brian Pillman 20 years later, and you are listening to the Top Rope Nation. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah. Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it. It's the best thing going today. What's up, guys? We are here to start your week off on the proper footing. This is episode 64 of the Top Rope Nation podcast. I'm Ryan Drosty, your host. Joined here by Kyle Ross, only Kyle Ross tonight. We're doing this old school. This is kind of like episodes uh, 1 through 25 or so of, of the Top Rope Nation podcast, when it just used to be me and Kyle breaking down all the latest in professional wrestling. Uh, Justin Joint will be returning next week to join us to complete the trio, but for tonight, it's just myself and Kyle, and we're going to be talking all the latest in pro wrestling this week. Uh, there's a lot on the table to talk about. Um, like I said, this is episode 64 of the podcast, so if you like the show, subscribe to us on iTunes, head up to uh, topropenation.com, you can check out all the backlog of all of our shows there, we got everything on Spotify, on Stitcher, and like I said, iTunes as well. So, the last time you guys heard from us, all of us were in the same place at the same time. Episode 63, that was our uh, our first ever live cast, Kyle. And uh, Kyle made the journey out here to Iowa. We sat around the kitchen table of the temporary home I was living in at the time. Uh, I was kind of in between houses. I am now in my new home. I wish we could have done it here, but maybe sometime in the future. Sitting down here at my bar, enjoying a King Sioux from Toppling Goliath Brewing Company. And I am here to talk to my man, Kyle Ross, who is now out in Cleveland, Ohio once again. Kyle, what's going on tonight? Not much. Last week, I'm just going to apologize. I sounded last week like a man who had driven hundreds of miles to do a podcast. You know, <laughs> I, I, did, I didn't bring it. I'm going to be better this week. That's my promise to each and every one of our fine listeners. And I should point out one other thing. You got something wrong in your introduction. I did. Was I that? was not on episode one. Oh, that is true. Yeah, I started on episode two. Yes. Episode one was Jason Stout, who a former uh, member of TopRopePress.com, who I believe still listens to the podcast. So shout out to Jason. And we appreciate there. that. We do. We appreciate your support. He tweets at us. It's cool. Um, following along with the shows, we've continued to grow. Been a, He's been a first-class supporter of Top Rope Nation. So... Yes, Kyle. I'm I'm actually it's gonna be a little bit weird without Justin here tonight, but I kinda like the old school feeling of the show to see how it goes, just me and you bantering back and forth and yeah, um, fuck, that could be, yeah, I was gonna say fuck just two of us is gonna be like three hours, I think, on some of these topics we got, man. You know. <laughs> we pushed this back a few days and I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. 
quite frankly, because our first two sto- had we done this show, you know, kind of taking our listeners behind the curtain, had we taped this in our normal time of Thursday, our top two stories um, were not yet stories. No, yeah, yeah. This would this would have all been on the episode sixty five, the next show, and that it would have been almost a week old by then. So, yeah, yeah. stuff stuff has been just kind of crazy around here. We're trying to put together a time slot, and like I said, I was in the process of moving and then trying to catch up on all the wrestling from the week and all the news and everything. So it's kind of hard um, to put together a night where we could talk about everything going on. But uh, I'm glad to be here back tonight with you guys if if you're a longtime listeners like kyle said you know we usually record on thursday nights and put out the new shows every friday morning uh, so this is a little bit different so hopefully you start your monday morning uh commute or at work listening to us breaking it all down so and if you know maybe what we were talking about before we went live and hit the record button this could be the first of back-to-back sundays that's true the podcast because i think we're going to do another post show uh, like we did for Money in the Bank for Extreme Rules. And if we don't, well, then just disregard that I said that. <laughs> yeah, I think that is that is the plan. So we used to always do these post shows, and we didn't do it for quite a long time. I think since we went February of 2017 and until uh, Money in the Bank without doing a post show. And I enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. So I think we should we should do that next Sunday for Extreme Instant Rules. reactions. People love that, you know. There's never a shortage of things to talk about after a pay-per-view. Everyone's kind of... You know, hyped up on what they saw. Everyone's got an opinion. It's a good time to record a show. Um, we did used to those those pay per view post shows. We used to actually video stream those those on YouTube, um, which actually those are some of our most watched slash listened to shows of all time. So we've talked about bringing back the webcasts. Uh, it is a little bit more work to put together though on on my end, just from a technological standpoint. So we kind of we kind of set a goal. Um, if we got enough subscribers to our Patreon page, once again, that's at patreon.com slash top rope nation, um, we would return the web the webcast. So that that could still happen. That's up to the listeners. If you, if you enjoy the show, head over to patreon.com slash top rope nation. Uh, you can become a, a patron of the show for a dollar a month. And if enough of you join in, Maybe we'll bring back the webcast and fuck man. I'll have to put on good shirts again. <laughs> Kyle comes out again in his bathrobe. He's got sunglasses. You never knew what you were going to see from Kyle Ross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never know what you're going to see. So uh, speaking of, you never knew what you're going to see. Yeah, there's a good segue. How about, how about this? How about your boy Brock Lesnar? All right. So last night at UFC 226, I believe it was, Brock Lesnar shows up. After the main event, Kyle, you're watching it live. Um, yep. I was just kind of following along on Twitter. I saw that uh, I think the first person I saw talk about this was Sean Ross Sapp from Fightful had mentioned. Yes. That, yeah, he, he deserves then, the credit there for sure. And then Meltzer shamelessly, oh, yes, and I've been hearing the same things, too. Yeah. I mean, that may or may not be true, but tight <laughs> up, Dave. Yeah, Sean got it. He had the scoop, and um, he said that he had heard Brock was going to be there and he would be fighting the winner of the heavyweight title fight, which ended up being Daniel Cormier. And to be fair, you know, we joke a lot about Meltzer on the show. He had been speculating that for months. I mean, that was kind of, you know, not exactly a secret that Lesnar might show up Mm -hmm. and be the potential challenger for the winner of the Miocic-Cormier fight um, because UFC, quite frankly, has a uh, real depth issue in the main event scene. For that, for their promotion. Well, that's kind of why I've fallen out of it, to be honest with you. Um, 
I mean, it's not like wrestling hasn't had down periods of, of stars as well, but I always kind of hang around because wrestling goes back to my childhood. But I've I've liked UFC over the years. Like I watched the early UFCs. I'd say one through twenty, like all of them, as they were like, happening oh. with my dad, <laughs> way back when in like the mid nineties. And then I just kind of fell out of it, and well, I got back did. into it with like Tito Ortiz when he was in Chuck Liddell, and and then I kind of followed again. I did. I got back into it when Brock first went to the UFC. Um, but I just, I have not really had the urge to watch UFC lately. So, and I know Kyle, you're not like a huge UFC fan. So how did it come about where you're watching? I I used to be, I mean, I used to like order most of the pay-per-views, um, during the Lesnar heyday, or at least go watch them live. I mean, I was on a tremendous string, but it's just like, you know, there's a corollary with WWE. There's a huge oversaturation of the product. And I'm like you, I just, because wrestling goes back to my youth, I just prefer wrestling and, you know, I've got a job, you know, full, you know, a job that, you know, take eats up a lot of my time and a family and, you know, stuff gets cut for the thing. But, you know, with Stipe Miocic uh, fighting on this one who, and by the way, anyone who knows Stipe follows his career knows he is a part-time fireman, right? Just he down stationed, the road from you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> just down the road from me. Not even a five-minute drive from my house, the fire uh, station that he volunteers at. And, um, you know, his uh, some of his uh, coworkers, they're actually just put in my daughter's new car seat in the back of my car. <laughs> but uh, champions are dropping like flies here in Cleveland, unfortunately. Oh. Stipe lost, and I guess there's just no sugarcoating, and I'm the toughest man in Valley View, Ohio. <laughs> I was not going to bring night. up the LeBron thing. but uh, Thank you. Yes, I was not going to bring it but, up. Yeah. But anyway, well, let's bring this full circle for the wrestling fans and what they want to hear. So Stipe loses to Cormier. Uh, Brock had come up to the octagon before that. So he had made his presence felt before the fight. Cormier calls him out. This has been done several times before UFC. I mean, let's be honest. Pro wrestling theatrics are really what took the UFC to its next level, you know, over a decade ago. I mean, they used pro wrestling. Yeah, I mean, that and just, you know, just guys cutting promos on each other. I mean, there was a lot of pro wrestling in UFC, and that's what made it so big. (laughs) So Lesnar gets in the cage, shoves him. A lot of expletives, called Stipe a piece of shit, um, you know, told Daniel Corby, I'm coming for you, motherfucker, and threw the mic at the camera, which was all lovely. And uh, I can't help but think, by the way, I was talking to some buddies, and they agreed with me last night. Brock Lesnar is better in the UFC than he is in the WWE. He is? No, I, <laughs> I because agree. Because he is just a very good heel on his own, you know. Forget about, you know, Paul Heyman cutting the same promo every week on Raw for him. Because I think there's just still, even to this day, it was very strong at first when he came in. A resentment among hardcore MMA fans, you know, just like hardcore pro wrestling fans, hardcore MMA fans, obviously. And they don't like how this quote unquote pro wrestler comes in and kind of shoots to the top of the card. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I just think he's always worked better in UFC. I mean, he is a legit draw in that world. I mean, that was arguably the peak of UFC was Brock Lesnar on top as the heavyweight champion. Whereas you and I have had this discussion before, you know, with Justin that, man, his drawing power for WWE can be called into question. Yes. You know, he's not as big a mover, quite frankly, as he probably needs to be for that contract that we're going to talk about where he stands now with WWE. So there we have it. 
your thoughts after this all went down. <laughs> so the fact that you brought up that uh, he's not that much of a needle mover for WWE kind of plays into what I was going to talk about here because I threw up on our Instagram page and then I think I went to our Facebook page earlier today. Oh, Brock Lesnar is in UFC. Don't care. <laughs> I got some replies about. Oh, really? Oh, oh yeah. I, I put that and got some replies like, oh, you know, look at all the YouTube views that, that Brock Lesnar's appearance on UFC have got. People care and stuff. Let me clarify. I know people care. I know Brock is a big time draw in UFC. I know he's a former UFC heavyweight champion. I was saying, in my opinion, I do not care. And this might this might seem a little weird because. He's never Ooh. around. He's never around, but I I just have Brock Lesnar burnout. How do you get burned out of a guy who's never around? I don't know, but I just I, I'm kind of tired of just all the drama with him never being at the shows, yet everyone talks about him because he's never there. And and this whole title reign that's been a complete joke of his going back to last spring, over a year ago now. Um I do agree with you, Kyle, that he's better in UFC, and I think it's silly that you have the UFC fanboys talking about, oh, why does he get a title shot? Well, he's a former freaking UFC heavyweight champion. That's why he gets a title shot. And well, you that and it, it's a pay-per-view business. It's about yeah. draws. It's yeah. just like, you know, and for the record, when CM Punk said what he said about The Rock going to WrestleMania 29, that was stupid too. Yeah. No, <laughs> I, I – uh... I'm not, I'm not like, when I saw he was there, I didn't get all jacked up. Like, oh, no, my God, Brock's at UFC. What's going to happen? Like, I didn't well, really I mean, care that much. It but... wasn't a huge surprise. I no. mean, I thought the I thought the promo he caught was good. I mean, it was certainly noteworthy to see some guy just come in and, you know, take it to that level. Uh, it's really interesting now. So I've been critical of Brock, too, on the WWE side and this title run. And I think the fatigue you're referring to is kind of how the entire Raw brand, you know, it's got this universal title, but everybody else is very much kind of in limbo based on Brock's schedule. You know, I mean, him doing this affects Roman Reigns. It affects Bobby Lashley. We'll talk about those guys later. But, you know, everyone's kind of on hold, you know, it's almost like a pause button has been hit on the brand. Well, yeah, like Braun Strowman should have been Universal Champion a year ago. You could have made that argument. Yes, Braun, this affects <laughs> Braun Strowman. But let's try to look at this objectively, okay? Because I like to do that. So I'm not a fan of the way this Brock Lesnar title run has gone down. But he has. He's the, w he's the Universal Champion. Vince is very clearly playing the long game here. I think hoping for the ultimate reward, obviously. I'm not the first person to say this, but... Does this, how much does this matter in 2018 going into 2019? Because, quite frankly, he may not wrestle again until 2019. <laughs> Brock Lesnar beats Daniel Cormier, okay, and is the UFC heavyweight champion. He is still under contract to the WWE and has to do a loss on the way out the door to somebody, Roman Reigns or whoever. In, you know, there was obviously in the 70s and 80s and, you know, before that and I don't know, even into the 90s and stuff. And I, I don't, it might still be true today. I'm interested to hear what you say. How big a deal is it for the UFC champion to be beaten on WWE television? Because it's not like people are going to be like, oh, man, WWE, they're so much tougher now. Because, you know, I mean, the cat's out of the bag, you know. We all know, you know, it's a work. I, I don't know if 
the public at large is gonna be like, holy crap, dude, WWE's tougher than UFC now because they're cha- you know their champ beat the UFC champ. I don't think that's the reaction, but what's the word I'm looking for? I just think uh, perception-wise, it would be a big deal if Vince could pull that off. Yeah, the, if you have a situation where Brock is the universal champion and the UFC heavyweight champion, that would be pretty damn cool. And in that circumstance, we're going to be on this podcast saying, my God, Vince McMahon has done it again. Yes. <laughs> you know, and, like, and how long has he key, known about this? Yeah, that's key. Yeah. I think that he and Lesnar, th- this obviously goes back before WrestleMania to me. Yeah, he was at, because, was it in February. He was at the UFC event with with Dana White photographed. Yes, it was before Mania, and you don't do what you did to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, and then to a lesser extent, Greatest Royal Rumble ever, unless if you know this is if you're Vince McMahon, unless if you know this is on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the other thing too that's been talked about. You know, Daniel Cormier even mentioned this. Oh, I'll go on WWE TV if they'll have me to promote this fight. That's crazy. That, you know, it's, yeah, that would be If cool. WWE and UFC have this working relationship, to me, WWE benefits more from that than UFC does. Because the UFC diehards, but what are you doing with in bed with this pro wrestling? Where the WWE fans, okay, maybe there's some resentment towards UFC. Maybe some people don't care, but I think it's a much bigger get for WWE if there's any kind of cross promotion. Yeah. I think anytime WWE, anytime WWE gets that rub from the real world sports, it's huge. And there's no doubt that Brock as your world champion, like he's the most credible WWE world champion in a long, like who would, I don't even know who would, who would rival him as far as being like a credible real Real life tough guy, world champion in pro wrestling, but uh, there there is that that air of credibility around him. And God, if you if he's holding the UFC heavyweight title at the same time as the Raw world title, the Universal title, that would be pretty cool. Um, you could kind of throw it back and say, "What if, if he loses the Cormier?" Yeah. Well, 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 here's my point, and it goes to the whole thing of all right in 2018, 2019, how big a deal it like you know the. The general public, the casual fan, whatever that means in the present day, is probably not going to like, like I said, have that reaction like, whoa, WWE's tougher than UFC now because they won this match. You know, everyone knows it's a worked match and knows what the score is. But at the same time, is it that big of a deal if Brock loses if they get the promotion? Mm-hmm. You know, if, if WWE kind of, I mean, in terms of making money, I don't know. Like, if Vince has a financial stake in this situation. But um, I think the idea of doing cross-promotion with UFC in this, like, you know, heavyweight champion versus heavyweight champion type deal, this mythical battle, is well played by Vince McMahon. As silly as Brock's you know, universal title run has been, I, I think, I mean, okay, what's a better idea for the universal title than this? I mean, as far as like having a higher ceiling, there's none. Mm-hmm. I mean, Roman Reigns might deserve to be the universal champion guys. Hell of a worker proved that again last Monday night working twice. 
but I don't think there's anything, you know, within the confines of WWE that would have a higher ceiling than this. As a matter of fact, I know there isn't. So are we saying then that there's virtually no chance that Brock loses the universal title before this fight happens? No, there's no, I mean, I, I could be wrong. Okay. I would suspect he's not going to wrestle before the fight, right? I mean, if you're in camp for a fight, you're not going to risk injury by wrestling. So, I've, I've and, read... and he's not—he's not in great. You know, keep in mind he's been away from MMA now for. I mean, he fought Mark Hunt when? Uh, yeah, July 2016. Yeah, it was right before he wrestled Orton at SummerSlam, right? Yeah, so yeah, it was 2016. That, that was an that was a short notice fight too. He didn't train very long for that fight. Yeah, and then well, yeah. yeah. I mean, there were issues. I mean, he he won. I mean, that one is the win has been you know stricken from the record. But you know, I mean, still, I mean, this is a big deal, and one would suspect he'd want all his athletic preparation to go towards that, not a random universal title match. Right. So I, I've read different things on this. Uh, there was two reports out. One one person had, I think, from Bleach Report and CNN had written that Brock and Cormier would fight at. Uh, Madison Square Garden in November, and then I read later on that December, December, or January. So b- depending on when he actually well, entered the the drug testing he, pool, because he has to be in that for six months. Yeah, Dana White, I think last night said it was last week that he entered it. So um, Meltzer, I thought said it was it was UFC two thirty something, but I thought it was the December one. So hold yeah. on here. Let, they have a big uh, one like the last week in December. Yeah, because I think they had wanted this to be at the November MSG show, which was going to kind of be an unofficial celebration of the company's 25 year history. You know, you talked about the yeah. early days earlier, but I, I think it's going to be the December one now, which, yeah, that's interesting because, uh, yeah, like a lot of people were saying last night that he could have entered the USADA pool in May, like quietly and qualified for the MSG show because apparently they can, they can enter that drug testing pool, um, like out of the media's view, like their name doesn't appear on the list. And then some people were putting forth the theory that he had actually entered the drug testing pool in, in uh, May, but yes, then Dana White said that. So, yeah. (laughs) So who knows when the, when the fight's actually going to happen, but if he can't fight till December or January, you're talking about Brock Lesnar holding the universal title for seven or eight months without a title defense. That is insane. It is, but you know, at the same time, we also what do we complain about a lot with WWE pay per views? That there's too they're, many title matches. I yeah. Mean, straight, and by the way, it goes for New Japan too. It goes for anywhere. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of title matches. So, if they were still doing brand only pay per views, this would be a huge deal. Like it, it, you know, you almost couldn't do it. I wonder, by the way, again, look at the timeline when that decision was made to yeah. go to the, the no more brand exclusive pay-per-views. It was around the time Brock showed up at the UFC pay-per-view. Was that the impetus? Did Vince know, okay, I'm losing my universal champion for basically the balance of the year. We can't have raw only pay-per-views. That's interesting. I don't know the answer to that question. That is, that is a very interesting point. It makes sense. 
because it was around March. It was before Mania. The last brand only pay per view was SmackDown. It was the March. What was it Fast Lane? Mm-hmm. And that was a, around the time I believe Brock, you know, showed up at UFC, and they they announced before Mania that they were ending the. Uh, brand-only pay-per-views because they came up with that horrible song for Backlash. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It, yeah, this could shake out so many different ways. It's certainly intriguing, I guess. It's uh, probably the most interesting thing surrounding Brock Lesnar in several months. But we could have Lesnar being the longest-reigning WWE champion since Hogan in the mid-'80s if he holds the title that long. And it really, it really wouldn't make much sense for him to to lose the title in the interim. I was going to pose a question earlier that if this was actually in the works, he still could have lost to Reigns at Mania and then recaptured the title before the fight happened. Um, but I don't know. Here's another thing. How much does it matter that he's the champion? I mean, I guess it, like, it seems cooler, I guess. But, you know, just because he wasn't the champion when he fought the last time there. Right. And maybe they don't even care about that because honestly, I thought Ronda was going to win the women's title so that when she was inducted into the uh, UFC Hall of Fame, they could promote her as the current Raw Women's Champion, mm-hmm. and that didn't happen. So they yeah. had that easy crossover opportunity right there, and they didn't pull the trigger on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I the only thing I can guess is that they, if there's some sort of cross promotion deal where it's WWE Champion versus UFC Champion. Yeah, well, man, if Cormier walked out on Raw, that would be. I mean, that's a big is, get. Yeah, that would be huge. It's, UFC is nowhere as big as they were like a decade ago, but man, that would still be pretty awesome. They haven't had anything like that probably since Tyson '98, <laughs> where there's like a guy of that magnitude. Uh, Floyd Mayweather. Was oh, I guess. Big. Yeah, I guess yeah. Mayweather. Yeah, but yeah, that that would it took be them. Awesome. It took a, it took them a little bit to get that on the right trajectory, but you know they eventually did. You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, thinking Floyd Mayweather would get over as a baby face was kind of a head scratcher, but uh, <laughs> they got it right. Eventually. Yeah, true. So, well, we'll have to see what happens. Well, I'm sure we'll be talking about this in the weeks to come. So, any, any yeah. other comments on that before we shift gears to something else? I guess it's. <laughs> remember, we were all like, "How can they not have him work SummerSlam?" I mean, <laughs> SummerSlam. <laughs> I, mean, I, who the hell I, I still think they should have him work SummerSlam. He can, he can work a brief match. I mean, he can still be in, he can still be in training, especially if he's not going to fight until December. That's four months away. Anything can I, I don't know, man. There's insurance, you know. I mean, The Rock, you know. Oh, you know, I'm making this movie. I'll just wrestle one match. There's no big thing, and he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I guess I I, I still hate the Brock Lesnar title run. Yeah, I mean, but. look, we're going to talk about Raw in a little bit here. I mean, <laughs> I mean, what kind of holding pattern was the term I was scrambling for earlier? That's the way to describe so many of the guys on Raw, holding pattern. Yeah. Well, before we get to the next topic here, uh, I, I've got to throw something out here because I was going to talk about this in the intro and then I forgot to. So I jotted it down a minute ago so I didn't forget. I mentioned that oh. this, is, uh, this is episode 64 of our podcast, Kyle. And I thought a good tie-in with 64 was the Nintendo 64. So I'm throwing it back to the days of professional wrestling on the Nintendo 64. And I don't know if you were a gamer, Kyle, but I was going to ask what your favorite pro wrestling game was on the N64, if you had one. Did you have an N64? I did not, but my buddy, what was the NWO game? Like WCW versus NWO? I played that yeah. all, like, like 
my there, buddies and I, we would always do like just the four way matches and like the battle rolls, and it was great. I loved being six pack and just like taunting a guy when he had no power left. He was in a submission move, not helping him, and just doing the cross chops. <laughs> I think that was probably revenge. Uh, Maybe that, that I can't remember. The, I'm not good at remembering the names of video games at all. They had like, World Tour was like the first. Uh, wrestling game at least in the united states on the n64 and then uh revenge came out in i want to say 98 and, and that then, sounds about right because i played it a lot in 98 yeah I'll that was a great buddy game. rick he, he would know what game it was i on the other hand struggle to remember <laughs> well that was a great game and uh the same developers and then like the next year made wwf no mercy which is usually mentioned in the list of like the greatest pro wrestling games of all time no mercy is always on there and then wrestlemania 2000 came out after that and they were pretty similar games but uh for me it's no mercy and wcw revenge i played the hell out of those games i can i can still remember sitting in study hall in high school like just reading my game magazines i was so pumped for those video games to come out i spent so many hours going over to my buddy's houses just winning the championships and setting our champions on those games and I don't know. It's it's been a while since I've been that excited about a pro wrestling video game. I still game from time to time, but uh, once you have a, a family and a kid, it's it's a lot harder to do so. Do you play any games still, Kyle? I do not. I do not have any video games set up <laughs> in this home. Yeah, it, it gets a lot harder, but I just thought that was a cool tie-in. Episode 64 and 64, a lot that of was, good memories. <laughs> that, was, that was good work. <laughs> just Just off the top of the head. So, all right. Speaking of off the top of the head, did not plan that, but that that rolls yeah, ooh, into I don't the know. Should, should we should we strike that transition from the, the minutes here? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, last night, because we're recording this on Sunday night, was the New Japan G1 special in San Francisco at the Cow Palace, and this has been getting a lot of conversation on Twitter today. Not just the the one injury that happened in particular. Uh, although I heard Cody's taking some time off too because he took a really bad bump through a, a table on the outside, like a running power bomb from Kenny Omega. But man, so Takahashi, he takes uh, what was the move? It was the Phoenix. The, yeah, the Phoenix Plex. Yes. Yeah, and landed really awkwardly on his head. Reportedly has a broken neck from this move. Uh, I did not. I've I've seen like the results and, and seen some video clips and stuff, but I haven't watched the full show yet. But uh, the, the the big argument that's come up here, and uh, like our buddy Liam O'Rourke out there in the UK, he, he had a pretty good comment on this too. I thought today on Twitter, uh, are we pushing the lines or the boundaries too much in pro wrestling these days? Once again, like are we getting back to the late nineties again, where everyone was just you know, pushing the envelope so much, and we had all these neck fusion surgeries in, in the early to mid-2000s because it seems like people are going too far. I was, I was trying to pull up Liam's quote because it was pretty good. Um, and by the way, while you do that, let me just pimp crazy like a fox. We interviewed Liam on this show, and if you have not read it, if you do not own it yet, you should absolutely rectify that and purchase crazy like a fox the definitive chronicle of brian pillman oh yeah yeah check out the archives toprobnation.com or on itunes um, we interviewed liam a couple months ago about the book and legitimately like I've, I've told him this i i've read sections of that book three or four times it is honestly the best pro wrestling book i've read in a long long time it's very very good it is the winner of the 2017 wrestling observer uh, newsletter best wrestling book award yeah there you go. 
That tells you all you need to know. So and and by the way, if Liam's listening, if uh, Eric Bischoff has anything negative to say on 83 weeks because they're talking Pillman is the next subject on that uh, particular podcast uh, with Conrad Thompson. You know, if Bischoff takes any shots of this book, I'm jumping into a Twitter argument at the drop of a hat. <laughs> it's Even so f- Liam's very fine hat, which he has, by the way, that he wears so well. <laughs> yeah, the uh, and, uh, in, in the book, he talks about, you know, Pillman working that loose cannon angle. And and uh, I think he, he really wanted to re-sign with WCW, but he, he was trying to become a main eventer and, and using that angle to get a better contract. And... Man, he was totally working Eric Bischoff <laughs> throughout the whole thing. So, oh yeah, I mean, he, conv- Bischoff... he convinced he convinced the office to fax him a legitimate release. <laughs> yeah, like Bischoff felt like he was in on it, but he wasn't really completely in on it. And it's that was actually the portion of the book that I talked about where uh, uh, I, I mentioned to Liam a couple weeks ago that I've read that loose cannon those those couple chapters in there three or four times. It is just riveting stuff so he did a great I'm job sure Bi- researching the book yeah i'm sure bischoff will claim oh no i knew everything all along oh yeah. of course yeah. <laughs> yeah um yeah so liam wrote on twitter he said that about takahashi suffering a broken neck and he said it's a sad inevitability from guys who've been pushing their luck for a while now worse they're so good they don't need to be taking those risks love that last sentence yeah love that last sentence that was the like when i logged into twitter this morning on my phone right after i got up that was honestly the first thing at the top of my feed that i saw and i was like man that is right on so kyle what, what do you think are we pushing the bar- the boundaries too far and is, is new japan more guilty of this than say wwe all right i hate what the arguments devolved into on twitter where it's become a new japan wwe thing like you know like if you're a hardcore new japan person you're feeling like you're attacked and you want to just go and point everything WWE does wrong and say, it's not just us, not just us. It is an industry-wide problem. It's it's quite frankly been an industry-wide problem for over 20 years. Okay, let's go back to the days of All Japan. You know, their main event scene from 1993 to 1996 is as great as any promotion has ever had in the history of this industry. But it got to a point where these guys felt the need you know, they're like, well, what can we do to top these matches? Well, let's just start actually landing on our heads and taking the moves legitimately. Well, that was really stupid. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of people at the time who were complaining. Not not a lot. I shouldn't say a lot, but there were a lot of sharp people at the time complaining about that and saying, man, this style's jumping the shark. It was head dropping was the term. that, And it was, you know, started getting popular in, in the Masawa Kabashi matches, you know, by 1997, eight ish and people are like man this is you know not a good thing and you know unfortunately we saw you know how Mitsuhara Masala what happened to him um and you know Kobashi has his problems I mean it, it, those you know and then in the WWE you know you have guys like Edge you know TLC matches had to call a career before he wanted to I'm sure uh, to name a few, I mean, Steve Austin's neck. I mean, that obviously stemmed from a freak accident, but there were just a lot of guys. You know, the number of the number of injuries that we see today in pro wrestling is just way too high. Um, WWE, I think, I shouldn't say I think, I know it's better now than it was like 15, 20 years ago yeah. in terms of the spots that are being taken. Like, you know, um, the guys in Between the Sheets, they actually just reviewed – King of the Ring 98, because we just kind of came up on its 20-year anniversary not that long ago, uh, when Mick Foley was, of course, thrown off the 
top of the cage. And there's an argument that, you know, as legendary and iconic a moment as that was, it set a terrible precedent for this industry. Because it raised the bar to such a ridiculous height that guys felt the need, okay, well, to get heat, you know, we've got to do this crazy stunt. Mm -hmm. You know, and then these things don't get the reactions that they're intended to. I mean, people just forget about it. Think about it. Kevin Owens took that ridiculous ladder bump at Money in the Bank. I mean, who's really talking about that? And it was an insane ladder bump. Yeah. But no one's talking about that, really. I mean, they, they do mention it occasionally. I mean, they've kind of made it part of the storyline a little bit on Raw. But, you know, overall, it's not like people are like, what, you know, what are the all-time great bumps by Kevin Owens at, you know, WWE Money in the Bank 2018 will be remembered for years. It, honestly, no, you know, as soon as the program with Strowman wraps up, no, very few people will remember it. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. And WWE did, does need to cut out apron spots. Everyone needs to cut out apron spots. I hate them with a passion. I think they're dumb. Um, guys should not be, you know, the, the head dropping that we talk about here to answer your question. Is it more of a problem with the new Japan? Probably because new Japan's selling point is, you, you know, these hard hitting strong style matches. So they've got to go above and beyond you know, between the ropes, if you will. And yeah, everybody's got to tone it down, but particularly New Japan, because, you know, what is it? I mean, it, it wasn't even a, a little over a year ago with Shibata. Yeah. You know, you know, taking a shoot headbutt. What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> There's, you just, it's, it's not cool, really, actually. I mean, I know that it gets, you know, and some of the stuff, just doesn't get the pop. I mean, Foley, obviously, okay. It Foley, you can argue, still would have gone on to be a big star, even if he did not get thrown off Hell in a Cell, because he was certainly on that trajectory. But, you know, I think contractually, quite frankly, I think, you know, that did help him get a raise, and he, he was set for life. I mean, he probably maybe regrets it when he gets up in the morning now, but um, at the top, you know, I think for a while he probably still thought it was a good idea, but a lot of these things people just forget, you know, what are you taking power bombs off the apron for Yeah. when people forget about it in a half hour mm-hmm. and it doesn't add any, it's just a spot, you know, it doesn't even lead anywhere in, you know, in terms of psychology, it doesn't even lead anywhere in the match. Yeah. Isn't it kind of ironic how it seems like if you compare, say pro wrestling and NFL football, like pro wrestling has kind of been regressing in this front. Like we've been getting more and more unsafe lately. Like people have been ramping it up. Like we've been saying going back to 20 years ago. And it seemed like for a while there, like WWE cut out, you know, the chair shots to the head. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah, and obviously there was, there were, there was a very, <laughs> um, uh, shocking incident that led to that. We'll, we can leave it at yeah. that. Yeah. So, <laughs> So we've got in, in pro wrestling now again, people just going completely crazy with some of well, these spots they're doing. And I, I do think, like I said, WWE is better now than it was, you know, from like 98 through, oh, I'm just going to like, oh, four, like the early part of the aughts, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. to oh six or something like that. I mean, you don't see kind of the as much of the gratuitous stuff. I mean, there's still a high injury rate. Yeah, um, it's too way too high. But um, I, I think in terms of like specific spots, 
that are too dangerous to take, we're, we see less of those on that front. Yeah, I think WWE's done a, a pretty good job with it. And when they bring in guys from the Indies or Japan or wherever, and they, and they bring them down to the Performance Center, they do teach them what we would call the WWE style and how they they do work a little slower pace, a little, a little safer than the other promotions. And it's just kind of odd. It's odd to me how we've we've kind of gone backwards outside of WWE on this because I don't know if it's people trying to get noticed or whatever, but like Kyle mm-hmm. said, they're not getting noticed because it happens so much that it doesn't stick in your memory. Like we've just been desensitized to these huge high spots. And like I was going to throw out a second ago, I was thinking like, do you remember watching Survivor Series 95 when Brett took the bump off the apron from Diesel through the table? Sure. Like that was huge at the time. <laughs> it yeah. was just a table bump, right? But like but everyone remembers safe. that. Like like I mean I'm sure it hurt. Right. Like it's not like it didn't feel good, but like it's not like I, to my knowledge Brett missed no time. No. So but look how far we've come from then. Like that was yeah. a memorable memorable spot 1995 to now like we've got Kenny Omega doing a running release power bomb on Cody off the ring over the top rope to the outside where Cody hits the table awkwardly falls on his back table doesn't break like there's no reason you need to do that like these guys are way better than needing to especially do spots when like you that. get to the main event level yeah you know and and some of it's on the fans too because the fit like there is like a portion of the fan base who's like you know um to throw a match out for example like the Shane McMahon Undertaker match at WrestleMania Mm-hmm. A few years ago, like there is a portion of the fan base who base as soon as that match was announced, was like Shane McMahon better jump off the cage. <laughs> like that's like that is you know, dumb. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just wrong. I mean, yeah. it's just it's just silly. And, you know, Jim Cornette said this a long time ago, and it's insane how much how prophetic it was and how much more it applies today. than I can't even remember when he said it, but it's been a while. You know, guys, you know, are taking three times the punishment for one third of the reaction that they used to get. Yeah, that's true. And, and, and that's the crazy thing. I mean, yeah, especially when you're talking about guys like Kenny and Cody, those are made guys. You don't need to be taking risky spots. Yeah. You know, your stars on that scene. Cody had a tweet earlier today. made it sound like he's not going to work again until all in on September 1st. So he's hurting for sure. I don't know if you saw yeah, I, that. Uh, I did not see that actually. Yeah, he said he was going to take some time off to heal and we'll reunite it all in or something like that. Mm. I mean, he obviously wants to be healthy anyway, and he's got a lot of work to the motorcycle. But no, I mean, obviously, there's I bet you some of it has to do with last night. Yeah, no doubt. So, like I said, I haven't watched the whole show yet, but uh, I, th- this is this is all all the talk on Twitter right now and within the wrestling community. And uh, I think it was Bixen Span had a good good take on this i thought he had he had mentioned like uh he had a, i think he retweeted a gif or was commenting on a gif someone posted of like a released german suplex and was like what's what's the purpose of a released german suplex there where the guy lands awkwardly on his neck like why not just do the regular german suplex yeah i mean that's that's head dropping is what that is <laughs> you know i mean that was yeah. that was a style that was popularized in the late 90s by all japan and it Yep. You know, it never should have started, and it certainly should have stopped a long time ago. By the way, Fandango's another guy who's out, by the way. One of yeah. the great Fandango. The great Fandango. Mention him. Yes. Six months, apparently, he's going to be out. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, we always kind of sometimes say, eh, you know, these guys, you know, the, the, the show goes on and stuff. But, it, I mean, it sucks, man. I mean, you know, because it's problems later in life, 
and you just don't need to do that. I mean, yeah, the- you could go back and watch 80s wrestling, and okay, maybe, you know, and maybe this is just because of the way, you know, maybe some of the gatekeepers, people who rate matches, and, and how we, what we've come to expect from what makes a great match, quote-unquote. But, you know, I mean, in the 80s, guys had great matches without doing this stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know, what's a, you know, I mean, there were no unsafe spots in Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat. I don't know if that's the best example because of a certain style, but even like the brawls and some of the more heated things mm-hmm. uh, match, you know, there, you know, like um, I'm trying to think something comes to mind, like a, just a, a good, like, you know, like, a, like the Von, here we go, like, you know, war games, for instance. Okay. We just came up on the, the 30, well, Jesus, the 31 year anniversary of the first war games. I mean, it was a bloody match and okay. Cutting your, I mean, I guess, you know, I shouldn't say, you know, come back with yes, slicing, you know, eight dudes in the ring, slicing their forehead open is the greatest thing either. But, um, you know, again, you know, it's probably safer than, you know, getting dropped on your neck. Yeah. You don't need to be head dropped and you don't need to take a power bomb to the outside to have a, a memorable no. match. Or, spring, yeah. or springboard off the top rope and flip over the uh, guardrail to the fans. Yeah. Watch <laughs> Ultimate. The, here, here's a better example because the War Games example sucked, actually. I kind of gave up on it halfway through because I, I was like, well, wait a minute. Guys were slicing up in their foreheads. Um, and that's another thing, too, by the way. WWE, there's no – there's well, there's not supposed to be blading on WWE TV any, anymore. But um, – you know, watch Ultimate Warrior Macho King Randy Savage. I was, I was totally going to throw that one out when you were talking about matches. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, what a great story. Yeah, or or Flair Savage. Like, any of those. Yeah, you don't, yeah. You don't need them. So. Mm-hmm. Well, we did want to talk about the 205 Live match, which actually had some pretty crazy high spots in it. But Yeah, but, you know, I think for the most part, you know, I'm sure they hurt. There wasn't anything watching that, and it's funny because I, I have that next to my notes too, where I was like, oh, this that that was horribly unsafe. Like even the you know, the Spanish fly to the announce table, like that probably sucked in the morning, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, Buddy Murphy's back probably hurt like a motherfucker. But it wasn't like inherently unsafe. I mean, it could I mean, I guess you could argue, well, what if it goes wrong? Okay, but you know, I, I, you know, there were probably 10 things on the New Japan show last night that were less safe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, if you, if you guys haven't seen this match, 205 Live last week, Mustafa Ali and Buddy Murphy, who've had this ongoing rivalry on 205 Live, had an unbelievable match. And if you guys are longtime listeners of this show, you know, like Justin, for example, watches 205 Live quite often. Kyle, occasionally. They both watch it more than I do. I just happened to have it on on Tuesday night. Like, I flipped it on. It was a damn good night to just happen to flip it on because this yeah. match, it was insane. Like, I tweeted out right afterwards, okay, drop everything and watch 205 Live if you haven't seen this match. It is arguably the best match of the year in WWE. It's right up there. It's it's, it's going to be in the match of the year. Uh, arguments by yeah, the year. Not, not excluding the NXT stuff. Like if you're not counting NXT, yeah. obviously, because like Gargano's, you know, topped this. Tw- I, I would say. Oh, yeah. Main uh, roster. Gargano, yeah. Gargano's first uh, two takeover matches were better than this. But yeah, th- this was just in, in terms of a TV match. I would probably put this over, um, you know, Rollins Miz, the Rollins Balor stuff, which I really liked. 
probably even like I I'm trying to think like what the best WWE TV match of the year was before this. Maybe that gauntlet match on Raw yeah, that went like Rollins an hour and a half. Was in it for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but this to me was was my favorite. And you know, usually we we don't always necessarily break down the matches like this, you know, like a, a traditional review, but there was some stuff in here that warrants pointing out what made this different and just so much better than um a, a lot of the stuff out there. Number one, it's a grudge match, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. How did it start? Ali just like Murphy's coming down to the ring and Ali just drop kicks him right away. Yeah. When he's trying to get in the ring. No lock up, no slow start, no pandering to the crowd to get a, you know, you know, this is awesome or let's go Ali, let's go Murphy. They just started. That's how a grudge match should start. So I loved that. Like um, as soon as that happened, I'm like, okay, I'm into this. Like they hooked me right away. And then I've got to give credit to these guys. Because if there was one thing that was eye-rolling about this match, it was the frickin' fans with their We Want Tables chant. <laughs> like, their, their obsession with, like, a table spot. Yeah. When these guys are out there killing themselves, and they just had to have a table spot. So the point that they were chanting, no more stairs. Which I was like, I was like, come on. <laughs> and give these guys credit, though. They built to that great superplex spot off the stairs. That was and, the and, one I wanted to make sure to talk yeah, about. That was yeah. insane. And yeah. all those same people who are chanting We Want Table stopped doing it. So great job to these two for not calling an audible and just doing a table spot for the sake of the spot monkeys in the audience and doing what they had planned. Yeah, they used those stairs like throughout the whole heart of the match, um, building up to the, the superplex spot, like you mentioned. Uh, there was a spot, yeah, the spot with uh, Buddy Murphy where he, he like propped them up to the ropes and like ran up the stairs and springboarded off the top rope to the outside. That was crazy. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a really good match. You got to check it out if you haven't seen I'm it. I'm sure. Yeah. But by this point, you know, it, it, normally when we record, it would have been like, you know, a little fresher and maybe some people yeah. wouldn't see it. I actually did not see it live. I watched it the next morning because you talk about waking. <laughs> what a sad world we live in where we wake up. And the first thing we do is grab our phones and look at Twitter. Uh, but I did that. And then, I just saw all these gifts of the spots. I'm like, what was this match? <laughs> and I'm like, I have to watch this immediately. And uh, yeah, did not disappoint. I think this is honestly, people are, might think I'm crazy. This is the best in-ring feud of the year in WWE. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that as well as you had mentioned, Kyle, in our show notes. Um, could the brand benefit if they had a match like this where they would kind of showcase 205 Live again on, on Raw or SmackDown? So, okay. Yeah, I, I pose that question knowing full well that 205 Live has improved exponentially since it began operating in its own universe, so to speak. You know, since kind of like they just turned it over to Triple H and said, okay, total reboot. You know, this is no, long, no longer on Raw, no more Purple Ropes Club, um, you know, no more fans flocking for the bathroom. We're, it's going to be its own in its own world. And it's been a lot better, but at the same time, you know, the point, you know, the point of wrestling is to get things over. And I can't help but think, you know, you take this match and you transport it into the 9 p.m. hour of Monday Night Raw. And yeah, it's going to be cold. And you're going to have a lot of people in that audience that don't know what the hell the storyline between Buddy Murphy and Mustafa Ali is. But if you get this, if they get going like this, the people are going to be into it. And you could win them over. And 
I'm just saying this match in particular. And you're like, for more great action, tune into 205 Live. And it could just get some more eyeballs on the product. Yeah. I, I, I just, I couldn't help but think that. I don't know if they should, but I couldn't help but think it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's, it is a good show. Um, a lot of people talk online about it's one of the better booked shows in WWE, despite the fact that they have a fraction of the audience of what's watching on Monday night or even Tuesday night on the television networks. It, it definitely, like for me, who's someone who doesn't tune into 205 Live that often, um, it, just watching that match made me want to tune in next week. So I think if it can get me to tune in as, as someone that follows the product like pretty closely yet doesn't watch 205 Live that much, I think I think it could definitely hook the uh, you know the more fair weather fans too. Maybe get them to check it out and maybe boost WWE Network subscriptions. You never know. Yeah. It, um, going back to the whole thing about is this the best in-ring feud? I mean, this is like the fourth match these guys have had on TV. All of them have been like four-star affairs or better. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I mean, these guys every time are hitting it out of the park. I mean, they had that semifinal going back to the Cruiserweight tournament before WrestleMania, and I think they'd wrestled two more times between that and this. I mean, they're killing it, man. Well, they could be there in the best feud of the year and the Observer Rewards at the yeah. end of the year. We'll see. Yeah, so, well, something tells me they're not. But you know. <laughs> Well, Dave Double gave s- this one a four and a half stars in this week's Observer. So. Oh, Dave and I. It's always nice when Dave and I agree on something. I would go four and a half, too, on a definite match of the year candidate. So if the match happened in Japan, Kyle, would it have oh, been rated Oh, here higher? we go. Oh, here we go. <laughs> we got to throw it out there. Would it, would it have yeah. got a higher rating if it was at, like, the Tokyo Dome or Sumo Hall or what do you think? I don't know. Did he did he throw in his token? These guys again having the best matches that no one cares about. He he always loves to throw that zinger <laughs> on. It's like that and how he can never never give the Miz credit for a match. I mean, did you read that? I mean, we'll talk about SmackDown in a little bit, I guess. But like, I thought Miz and Jeff Hardy had another great match. That's two of them for those guys on SmackDown this year. And, like, Meltzer was so patronizing in the Observance Week. He said, well, I guess it was good based on what, the, you know, because the fans see him as stars. But really, it was, you know, kind of sloppy on Mrs. End. He always talks about that. Um, and it's like, what are you doing? Were you just, like, you were wrong about the Miz. Just fucking drop it, Meltzer. <laughs> okay? The Miz is, is very good. Like, yeah. stop it. Okay? Yeah. You were wrong about it. <laughs> He just said uh, in the Observer, let's see, he said, this was great. I'd go four and a half for it. They took a dead crowd and got them into it mostly oh, by doing okay. mostly by doing stunts. Okay. But there were a lot of big moves and highlights. Okay. So, I'll t- take it. <laughs> so, Kyle, since our next show is, is uh, well, actually, we might do a show Thursday night, too. This might be two shows from now, depending on how TV goes this week. But uh, we are, God. like we said, we could be producing three shows in the span. We could be like a dog, man. Man. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how WWE does Monday and Tuesday night. But if we do our typical Thursday night show for release Friday morning, and then we have the post show for Extreme Rules, um, should we look ahead to the Extreme Rules card to, to close yeah, the show? Yeah, I think- yeah, I think we should do that. I think we could talk about what happened on TV. I mean, because the card has pretty much come together now. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's going to be, I think the key thing for Raw is that they did what we wanted them to do. We talked about this on our last program, you, me, and Justin, that it's going to just be Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley 
one-on-one. And, you know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but why I think that was good um, was, you know, too many multi-person matches in WWE anyway. You know, and if there's not a if it's not a gimmick pay-per-view that calls for it, like an Elimination Chamber, Money in the Bank, I think it's needless to do one on the other shows. And that, you know, the guys besides Roman and Lashley, this is what we talked about last week in particular, were just going to be basically window dressing that no one bought as having a chance to win. Yeah. So it's it's not announced. It's kind of implied that the winner. No, of this it would... was announced. They they announced it. They announced it at the end of Raw. They, they announced did. the winner was going to face yeah. Brock. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you mean the match. It's so oh no, no no. I was saying the the winner the winner it it's assumed the winner is probably going to face Lesnar down the line, but they haven't like made that a stipulation. <laughs> yeah, I think you're kind of supposed could, to infer that. Yeah, because it could be way down the line. It could be <laughs> forget about number one contender at SummerSlam. It could be number one <laughs> contender at the Royal Rumble. Yeah, for God's sake. You get to fight Brock Lesnar in January. Congratulations. So we got Reigns Lashley, and then have you seen the stuff going on with Finn Balor and Corbin on Twitter? Yes, it's outstanding. But I, I did want to say one thing. So we were just healing on Meltzer a lot. I, I absolutely want – he wrote this in The Observer, and I absolutely agreed on it because I was thinking about it while I was watching Raw. Part of it is out of necessity because we don't know when a, the next Universal title match will be. But the Raw writing team has done a very good job with this Roman Lashley program in taking it from being like kind of just a, where it's – two guys trying to be a number one contender and making it a personal grudge match because personal grudge matches are what work in this industry. And I I think it's been, I I think it's been really well done, believe it or not, no matter what you think of those two guys, if you're a fan of one, both, neither, I think it's good. And the other thing is it's a fresh match that hasn't, we haven't seen yet. Yeah. So I'm actually really looking forward to the match, believe it or not. I don't. I don't want to say that we heal on Le- on uh, Lesnar on heal on Meltzer because I love Dave Meltzer and I respect the hell out of that guy. We we like to just kind of poke fun at him sometimes, but yes. uh, Dave is like he writes the Observer. That is practically the Bible of professional wrestling. We all uh, we all really, acknowledge that. You're really cute. robot face here. You're really <laughs> kissing his ass. No, I, I mean I don't. I don't want anyone to take the wrong way. Like we, we oh, despise Dave get, Meltzer. You know, I thought you were trying to get a free six months or something like that with that, <laughs> with that mea culpa. Uh, no, man, I've I've paid a lot of money to that man. I've I've subscribed to the Observer since I think oh one. So no, no, I I, I respect Meltzer. I just I like to poke fun at the whole New Japan WWE stuff with Dave. Yes, yes, because because he is silly. He has gotten silly in that regard. Yeah, yeah, I think we can agree on that. So Balor and Corbin got this stuff going on Twitter, which has been pretty entertaining to watch. Um, it's a lot better than the back and forth they had in the ring. Yes, that, that's, that was my next point. It's the best build to the match has been on social media and not really on the television. I, I hope they at least, and I could see them doing this, just do a take like a 30 seconds or whatever on Raw and show the tweets. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't, do I don't know that. if that'll mean anything, but I, I think it would be stupid not to. Because, you know, give Corbin credit. He knows how to push the right buttons. The things he says he knows are going to piss off a certain part of the fan base. And it's great in that regard. You know, when Finn Balor's like, oh, you know, when you were getting – because it was kind of funny. Balor's like, uh, what do you say? Oh, you know, when you were getting cut from NFL teams, I was winning best of the Super Juniors over in Japan. That's a pretty good line. But, you know, Corbin coming back with oh, winning winning in Japan, that's like winning an over 40 YMCA basketball game to me. Because you know there are people that are going to get, like, you know, work themselves into a shoot about that. 
Yeah. And so it's really good stuff. I thought it was really good. It was a lot better than, you know, you know, Finn making TGI Friday jokes and smiling. <laughs> Monday. God bless smiling Finn though. Smiling Finn Balor. That is, a, hey, I like it. Smiling Finn Balor. There you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> People criticize Diesel for smiling. Remember, remember Nash? You know, I smiled too much. Everyone, kept ripping, everyone ripped on smiling Diesel in 95. Oh, smiling yeah. Diesel, yeah. Smiling Finn. <laughs> uh, we, got, we got Hardy and Nakamura for the U.S. title. Uh, so some people view this as a demotion for Nakamura because we expected him to win the WWE title. Didn't happen. Whether or not that's because of the video game or not, it's kind of hearsay. But Have you? So did you hear this? I read this report that he was supposed to win last month and it was going to do they were going to do a rematch like a three stages of hell at this extreme rules. AJ Nakamura. I wonder if Vince just got sick of those matches. Yeah, I could see that. I could see Vince getting sick of it. (laughs) Well, I'll I'll, I'll talk. I'll come back to that. But, you know, with Jeff Hardy and Nakamura as the U.S. title program, I can't feel help but feel bad for my man, man, Andy Almas. Because I think he was originally slotted for this spot against Jeff Hardy and was going to win the U.S. title. You know, he was. Yes. They, they totally dropped that thing with Sin Cara. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it just they they're just not doing it. And Almas has just basically been put on ice, uh, which you know had was really like I don't want to say it was bothering me, but it surprised me. And I think now maybe we know why that you know I can see Vince being like, okay, you guys told me AJ Nakamura would be the greatest matches of all time. They're not. Well, fuck this. I don't want to do a two out of three falls match in the next pay per view, so we're gonna move on. But you know, it's odd, odd though that at the same time then he would move Nakamura down and then possibly the U.S. Championship because I think Jeff Hardy's losing. Yeah. Oh yeah, I agree. So, yeah, you don't feel bad for Nakamura. Recovering from that dog bite? What if they let... It, too soon for this joke? What if they let Jeff pick the stipulation? It is Extreme Rules. What if they let him pick the stipulation and he, he did kennel from hell? Oh, my God. <laughs> There's too a soon? throwback. Yeah, there we go. But, you know... Um, all right, I'll, I'll throw this back at you here. So it's AJ and Rusev for the WWE title at Extreme Rules, right? Yeah. Um. If they have a better match than any of the AJ Nakamura matches, and I think that's certainly possible, what are the Nakamura excuse makers going to come up with next? <laughs> I think they could top a couple of them, but I really like that last man standing match. Yeah, you match. did. I thought it was like a four. It was, it was really good. It was really good, the last man standing match, even though it kind of started a little slow. But, um, you know, it's funny. Good, My good friend Brian, listener of the show, he brought this up last night. He, he was just randomly sitting around during the – if anyone watched the UFC fight, you'll appreciate this. The excruciatingly boring semi-main event, which Joe Rogan was like actively burying during the telecast. Uh, the, the fight before the main event was just horrible if you didn't watch it. Mm-hmm. And so he's talking, he's like, you know, this Nakamura, he came in with a lot of hype. And, you know, I don't, I don't really know. Is, is he really that good? You know, my friend Brian says this. I'm like, you know, nah, he's been underwhelming. I'll be honest with you. And, People need to realize it's okay to say this guy was great in New Japan Pro Wrestling and he's been underwhelming in WWE. Yeah, And you could debate what the reason is why he's been underwhelming, whether it's the promotion or him or a little bit of both, but he's been underwhelming. The, I mean, the, we've talked about on the show, the heel turn was awesome. And I think, I think he's been yes. great as a heel. But prior to the heel turn, I think 
he has been incredibly underwhelming. And that's from a guy who owns at least three Nakamura t-shirts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that, um, I think we learned rather quickly that he was not a baby face. You could build a brand around, which yeah. I think was the hope initially. Um, he, he just wasn't that guy and that's, you know, too bad, but mm, it's one the guy. Yeah. Speaking so, of the guy, I wanted to talk about those tag matches that roll. You know, you talk about some bad takes. Okay, we have five fun with you, Nakamura, and Justin with Nakamura. But you want to talk about just a bad take about pro wrestling? Is people complaining? Like I forgot what this person's Twitter handle was, but like a lot of people were just like burying this person about all the quote unquote ring time that Roman got on Raw, and they're like that time could have been better served for these guys, and it was like. Like fucking Mike Bennett was on the list. <laughs> oh, come Mike on. Mike Canellis. I know. It's like, come <laughs> on. Like, like, and it was just like all these people. It's like, come, really? Come I, I forget what it is. You could, I bet you if you did a Twitter, you could find this. I'll have to read it. I, I'd love to find that list. But it was just like, you know, it's like, Ch- I love Chad Gable. But come on. It was just like all these like lower level people, like you know Brazanga. Like it was just like, come on, they folks. can't just throw them into this. Yeah, like you have to understand the hierarchy in pro wrestling yes. a little bit. And by the way, Roman a few weeks ago wasn't even on Raw. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it was fine. And I loved that. I mean, both tag matches had shitty endings. I realized that. Um, I but I thought it was pretty funny how he. Uh, you know, in the Rollins match, the crowd loved, you know, the idea or they loved or hated, I should say, the build to Roman getting the hot tag from Rollins. There was a let we want Roman. No, we don't chance. I thought it was pretty fun. Um, I also thought it was fun. The face off that Roman and Drew Mack had. I think people that's a match people want. Um, but in the revival tag, when it was Roman and Lashley and Roman was working just by himself and refused to tag Lashley, he was total heel there. Like nobody was like it, the duality of Roman Reigns was on full display in those two tag matches. Oh yeah. Which that's what they want. They want the duality of Roman Reigns. Yeah. So. I mean, I think, I think it, yeah, it, it works well and nice to see the revival getting some shine by the way. Yes. Even if just by that, even if just kind of like by just being inserted into a, you know, <laughs> a Reigns Lashley program. It, mm-hmm. it works, you know. I mean, I'd love to see that we can talk about the raw tag title picture in a little bit, but I'd love to see, you know, them and the AOP kind of get front and center and that again and you know, over you know, the rest of the lot, which is basically just house show opener comedy teams. Mm-hmm. Well the the tag title match is kind of interesting because uh Bray Wyatt was in a car accident recently and suffered some injuries. Uh, as far as we know, he's not—he's not in any danger of not being able to perform in this match. But um, do we think there's any chance here that Bo Dallas comes out of this short-lived feud with a, with a character change, and they finally like unite him with his brother, like people have been wanting for years? Oh wow! No, I wasn't thinking that at all. I've seen um, some. I've seen some rumors about that, but uh. I, I mean, I guess. I mean, so here's the, the. This was my point exactly. What I just said. There's two. Like, I hate this feud. To me, when I watched Raw last Monday, I thought that this the tag title program was the absolute nadir of the show. 
I, I know some people find it exciting, but you know, you talk about, you know, what casual fans react and man, when my wife sees this delete stuff and you know, the parodies by the B team, she is like, what are you watching? man?" <laughs> and I, and I really can't defend it. I'll be honest with you. Um, you can't defend that Matt Hardy theme song. That's what you can't defend. It's a bad theme Jesus. song. I remember you, you know, you, you, uh, okay, honest question. Do you hate it more than you hated the American Alpha theme song? <laughs> I, knew, I knew that's where you're going with this. Um, I think I do. I think it's, okay, it's well, just because it's annoying, whereas the American Alpha theme song was just, it was just underwhelming. Yeah. yeah. So the, my problem with the Raw Tag, these are basically two comedy teams. Yes. And for me, I actually don't give a rat's ass who wins at Extreme Rules. There, there's probably an argument for both sides. The way they've been booking it with the B team getting so many wins, you know, I hate to be like Brian Alvarez, but the way WWE books, you know, that means B team's probably going to lose. Um, and there was some rumor I read that like it, they're maybe thinking about you know Hardy and Wyatt against the AOP at SummerSlam. My only hope is the end game is that you know Authors of Pain revival. That's kind of like the tag title situation maybe a reunited american alpha whenever jason jordan comes back um and we kind of have the nxt guys because there's just way way too many comedy teams on the raw side when you look at it i mean you get titus worldwide brazango even though fandango's hurt now you know the ascension's basically a comedy team heath slater and rhino i mean these are all opening match of a house show type deals yeah it's not really what you want. I mean, we know tag team wrestling has never been front and center in the WWE, but I mean, this is kind of bad. This isn't exactly the Hart Foundation and the Rockers, is what you're saying. No, I mean it really <laughs> isn't. So, it, my point is, like, even if you want to give the B team like a quickie run, like you can, but just have them get smashed by the Authors of Pain or the Revive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think that would be a a vast improvement in the raw tag team division. So we'll have to see if that shakes out that way post SummerSlam. I hope so. Um, the, the SmackDown tag team division. Now we're going to know a little bit about Daniel Bryan long-term based on what happens in this match. So uh, I think we, we read off some recently might've been two weeks ago. Um, it was last week. Was that last week? The quotes from Bryan in that interview? Yeah. Yeah. He does sound a little dissatisfied with WWE. He has, he hasn't, was he working? Was he working, do you think? Do you think there's a chance that he was trying to get people's dander up and he said that? I don't think to... so. I think that was Brian being honest. Honestly. He's, he is he is honest. You know, he does have that reputation for being the most honest guy. If you ask him a question, he won't work you. So, yeah, that's, you could be right. Well, him and Kane, who has been getting some criticism for wrestling while running for mayor in Knox County, Tennessee, um... I think have a real shot at winning the tag team titles against the Bludgeon Brothers. I really do. You don't think so? I still think they're going to do Brian. Well, regardless of what Brian's future plan is, I think they're going to do Brian and Miz at SummerSlam, which makes me think Miz interferes to cost them. I, do you want to have, uh, I have this fear when I was looking at the Extreme Rules card that there might be a lot of fuck finishes on this show, mm. which is bad for a show called extreme rules <laughs> yeah. you know like i can see there being a lot of bad finishes on this show yeah just because i get you to SummerSlam. yeah yeah i i just 
it doesn't I don't I just can't see Kane being around. I mean, look, I mean, we, we talk about Brock Lesnar, you know, you know, the, the definition of a part time champion uh, taking it to a, a unfathomable level. I just can't see Kane being around to be a tag team champion. No, I, I think, think if they is, wanted to be like a feel good thing, like a short term, really short term thing. I do like the, I did like the match with the Usos. I hope they work the bar this week. Haven't heard anything. Would love to see Brian in the ring with Cesaro and Sheamus again. I think that'd be a kind of a hoot main event if they wanted to do that. Um, but no, I, I think I see like Miz interference here costing Team Hell No. Mm-hmm. And the Bludgeons, you know, another underwhelming tag team title run, quite frankly. Uh, I see that going on. SmackDown, I thought this week, was a very easy-to-digest show. We use that term a lot in regards to NXT. Uh, but, you know, SmackDown, maybe it's not a lot of home runs, but a lot of doubles, I think. I think they built all of their Extreme Rules programs well. Yeah. So we've got the, let's see, the women's matches, Carmella and Asuka. We've got Alexa and Nia. Again, again, I think that's a, I mean, that's going to be a crummy finish because I don't think they're taking the title off Carmella. Do you? Yet, I, it doesn't seem like they're ready to do that yet. And she's not, pinning Asuka clean nor should she no definitely not so but they already did the Ellsworth interference so what do they do you know last month I mean what do you do hmm I don't know but I would agree that uh, yeah I'm trying to think of a finish they could do but I I I don't think Carmel is going to lose here either um probably at SummerSlam I don't I don't I don't see them bringing Ellsworth back and then having her drop the title like that quickly yeah exactly and by the way, you talk about the SmackDown wins. Becky Lynch, by God, is on a win streak. <laughs> Becky Lynch, she still exists, ladies and yes, gentlemen. Yes, but pra- praise Jesus. Becky Lynch has won like three matches in a row on TV. Yeah. I, I wonder if she's going to get like into the picture somehow. The title. It seems like they're doing it. I, I mean, they're not going to just have her randomly win for nothing. Yeah, right? that's true. And she's getting TV time, so. God bless her. A true underutilized. People like always like to throw around the term underrated, underutilized. Becky Lynch is the definition of that, in my opinion. Oh yeah, we yeah we said that over and over. Criminally underutilized on the WWE roster, Becky Lynch. So, um, have you heard this about Nia Jax having legitimate heat? Backstage? Okay, yeah, I don't know what to make about that. I was going to ask know. you your opinion. Yeah, there. well, Alexa Bliss, you know, had the very dark tweet of no that day which i was like okay apparently we are uh, the stars are reading the rumor mills on twitter.com apparently yeah i was wondering what that was about at first okay yeah that was it was about the whole you know naya liking the instagram i don't know what to make of that i wasn't there (laughs) i i I don't know i mean they you know i mean Meltzer says they're not working and there's heat on them on her I, i don't know if that's true yeah, I haven't. I have not heard anything either, but I definitely want to get your I think, thoughts on that. Again, okay. Here's another thing. I'm glad you brought this match up now, though. First of all, I feel bad uh, for Nia. She had to cut that promo. Whoever laid that promo out for her on Monday night didn't do a good job. She's like, "Our match at Extreme Rules is going to be an Extreme Rules match." I was like, <laughs> "You know, jeez, like, yeah." You know, they could. They they should have worded it differently. But um, that's another match where I think the finish is going to be kind of funky, man. Because you got Ronda doing the old "I bought a ticket" angle, which usually works. Mm-hmm. But yeah, if, there's no way Alexa's losing the title here. Zero chance. Yeah, and so my thing is, do they go SummerSlam? Is it going to be a three-way, or do they? I don't really know what they can do 
to kind of just get Nia Jax to the side, except that, you know, she loses to Alexa. Yeah. I would rather see a singles match, personally. Yeah, I always would rather see a singles yeah, match. I, I think a lot of people were putting forth the theory that, like, uh, when that we had the, the finish at Money in the Bank, that this was going to lead to a three-way. I I, I would, I, Man, I, I just would like to see Ronda and the heel Alexa Bliss work one-on-one, though, personally, and build that match one-on-one without... I think Nia would just feel like a third wheel here in this situation. Do they save that for the Australia show? Because remember, Ronda did that big business with UFC in Australia. Mm-hmm. Not that they're going to need a ton of help doing big business over for that show in October. But do they maybe hold off her title win? Because that's the other thing, too. If you put Ronda in the one-on-one match with Alexa Bliss, you either obviously put can put the title on her or have to find a way not to do that. And they found the creative way at Money in the Bank. But how many more tricks do they have? You know, to have, you know, if you do the three way, Naya's obviously there to do the job. Yeah. Well, you you talked about doing the messed up finishes. So if Ronda's there at ringside, you could have a DQ and she costs and she costs Naya the match. And then Naya costs Ronda the match at SummerSlam. That's a lot of non finishes, but then it gets you to. Go ahead. I was going to say this, though. It is, as we pointed out, an extreme rules match at at extreme rules. So there really can't be a DQ. Yeah, she could like inadvertently hit her or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, so so I mean, Nia could get pinned. I mean, I you know, and for the record, I like when heels don't win clean. Sometimes, yeah, you know, heels should not always win clean. That's actually like bad form. Yeah, especially one like Alexa Bliss in this program. Yeah, I mean, they could draw it out till they could draw it out until that shows in October, right? The yeah, Australia show. That's a long time. <laughs> they could do it. I I guess I would put my money on Ronda walking away from SummerSlam just because it, it's such a big show and they'll, they'll get some mainstream uh, and that, attention at that one. Does that close? Because we know Lesnar's not on the show now, you know. And that's the thing too with with this Ronda Rousey. Maybe it doesn't even matter that they don't have Brock Lesnar. It probably won't. I mean, I don't think it matters at all at this point either way. I, I, I just don't think the I, wrestling fans care that much about Brock at this point. Yeah, I don't know what the big draw will be with the Raw Ben, quite frankly. But um, I guess that's just another issue to be resolved on the line. It's probably something around Rollins, I would ex- expect. Yeah, and we should talk about that. They decided a, a 30-minute Iron Man match, yes. him and Dolph Ziggler. <laughs> It's kind of like that's kind of just sounds funny to me to say a thirty minute Iron Man match. Like thirty minutes is not really an Iron Man match, but well, they've they've done it in the past by modern. Yeah, and there's been some great thirty minute Iron Man matches in the past. Ricky Steamboat, Rick Rude, Beach yeah. Blast, ninety two. Anybody? <laughs> there you go. Love that match. Yeah. Um, to your point, these guys just went twenty seven minutes on Raw two weeks ago, non finish again, <laughs> and. Um, there was no falls. So you're right. Doing a 30-minute Iron Man match where there's going to now be multiple falls seems a little silly. Um, it'll be interesting how the match has worked if they just start going for falls. Right? I mean, you can do I, – I guess there's ways to do about it. And, and truth be told, the modern audience – really, you can't even say that just the modern audience. I don't think audiences in general, like ever since they – you know, going back to Brett and Sean – have ever really had the appetite for to watch a 60-minute Iron Man match. I think it's just too long for them. 
you know it's going 60, and you kind of just don't pay attention at the beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were reports Meltzer talked about at the time. People were like, you know, the first 10 minutes of that Brett Sean match, we're walking up to the, you know, get a beer. Yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember him talking about that being at the show. So, do you know what the best sixty-minute WWF Iron Man match was? WWF slash E, I think. Hmm. Maybe, or this has an argument. I think this you, should be in the conversation, and people don't talk about it enough. You know, <laughs> I love the Brett Sean match. I know some people are, don't really uh, like it that much. I really like the match. I think it is absurd that they did no falls in the yeah, sixty. Yeah, it's absolutely absurd. There was no reason for that. Yeah. Why not just do a 60 minute draw and like they, they they actually did not that match actually did not need to be announced as an Iron Man match. Well, based on the way it was booked, didn't it have it had something to do with the fact that they were going to do the return match the next year, and well, Brett still could. Cla- Brett claiming that he didn't lose the title it was a draw <laughs> like they're gonna like they're gonna end WrestleMania on a draw but yeah. Well, they still could have done the same thing because Pipe you could have had Piper you know, say, oh, there must be a winner in this match. And then if the time limit would have expired at 60 minutes, he could have said, keep going. I, I really don't think the Iron Man gimmick was actually even necessary based on the way they booked that match. But that's a different story. Yeah. Well, the match I was going to throw out was the complete opposite in terms of booking. The Triple H Rock match at Judgment Day 2000. And the way they kept the crowd invested in that was there were a lot of falls. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mentioned a Steamboat Rude match. Uh, from 92 there were probably too many falls in that one that's a a kind of the one criticism of that match for 30 minutes um the triple h rock you know i think god i think there was like was there like 13 falls in that match or something like that that sounds like a lot but they were some of them were creative like triple h would take took a dq to get a pin when he was up um and then i think he got like another pin right after that match doesn't get enough love in the Iron Man pantheon, in my opinion. And I wasn't that the first Iron Man match since WrestleMania 12? Had they had one before that? I feel like that was the first one since. I don't think they did. I think that. Yeah, I think that might have been the second one. Yeah. Yeah, I'm and so it, it had been a while because I remember but, leading into that match thinking, "Wow, they're finally doing another Iron Man match." And I just looked it up. Six to five was was the final fall count okay. on that one. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, to be honest, actually one that was before the Brett Sean one, Brett Hart and Ric Flair, uh, in 93. That's really, I I like that match better than Brett and Sean. The house show match. Yeah. Yeah, The fan cam. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You got, you know, you got to have some focus people, you know, make (laughs) sure you're right. Brett Owen also had one too. Yeah. Yep. So, well, it should be a really good match. I think, I think that's going to be the match of the night. Just judge on the, uh, television matches they've had. So. Yeah, I mean, yeah, give, we've been critical of Dolph, but this this pairing with Drew McIntyre has kind of really reinvigorated his career. And reportedly, he's not signed. They're kind of trying to, I think, test the waters with him. Mm-hmm. So we might have a lot of false finishes, but there's potential on this show. So we should have a lot to talk about afterwards when we go live. So, mm-hmm. And maybe our SummerSlam direction will be a little more clear, so... What do you do? Like, I, I guess that's an interesting question. What do you do uh, if there's no Brock Lesnar on the men's side? Like, what's your big hook? I mean, is it, you know, they very clearly, by doing the non-finish on Raw, made you want another 
edition of Rollins Reigns versus Ziggler McIntyre. And I thought that match was that was building really well. Like I said, the, the the build to the hot tag that never came was outstanding in that match. I thought Ziggler and McIntyre did some really creative heel work to keep the crowd invested. Um, so we shall see. I, I don't know what it would be. I mean, do you do like Roman Lashley again? I don't, I don't know about that. And if Lashley beats Roman, what does he do at SummerSlam? Yeah, I you could do something around the IC title, like especially if Rollins wins the title wins back, back here yeah. and something fresh for him. I could see that too. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, it, that's an interesting question because Raw is kind of wide open there in the main event scene. So yeah, and he still got Braun with the briefcase. By the way, <laughs> he's never going to have a chance to cash in the damn briefcase because the champion's never there. I did not like the Braun Owens stuff on Raw. Did you? Uh, take it or leave it. Not really negative, but not not super positive either. I just I just feel like when that's over, like Owens is just going to be out of the picture entirely, which I don't really like either because I think oh, we've talked about it here before. I think Owens has got a ton of upside, but once he's he's done with Braun, I just I don't know. I see him kind of I, falling I just, down the card quite a bit. Yeah, I just hate the way the program's laid out. Where like Owens is like this sympathetic heel. Yeah, you know he he kind of like has a point. It's like what the fuck is like Braun doing with his rental cars, man? Like you know, let the man park. <laughs> yeah, it's true. We 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 should should we end on this though? Because we do have to mention it: the Sasha Bailey therapy session. Oh God! With your boy Doctor Melby, <laughs> Shelby. Pardon me, Melby. I was thinking of like Marcus Welby, Doctor Shelby. Yes. <sighs> This is the long. This feels like the longest feud with not much payoff, like of all time. Okay. It was so over the top that I didn't hate it. Like you know, sometimes like WWE tries like comedy, and it's like you think they're like taking it seriously, and it's like because of that it's really bad. But because this was so ridiculously over the top, I found it to be inoffensive. My issue though with it is it's pretty clear that they're not going to do a proper feud between the two. Which is kind of what people want. And I think it goes back to something I said months ago. They did the Alexa-Naya friendship breakup storyline, and I think that screwed these two. Because they can't have two former... I mean, you can, but I don't think it's good form to have within the same brand as women's division have two former best friends feuding, you know? Yeah, one's like gonna the come same off, thing. Because <laughs> one's going to come off as inferior, and it's going to be the one that is in a title program, which yeah. is these two. Yeah. So um, I don't know where this is going. Obviously, the Team Hell No reunion jogged an idea in somebody's brain up in Stanford, because I'm sure that's why this came about. But... You know, neither of them comes across as a babyface no. in this. Like, it's very hard to root for either of them. I did like the impressions they did of each other. That made me chuckle, actually. Legitimately. I got to say, it was, it's kind of funny because my wife said during that, she's like, how come the women have to go to therapy? Like, isn't that kind of kind of sexist? <laughs> like, why do the men not have to go to therapy? <laughs> did you explain to her the first doctor, you know, Shelby? Yeah. Uh, well, I told, her, I, I told her, like, men, they, they've had the men go to therapy before, too, and it's always terrible. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I cringed at first, but like I said, you know, like it was so campy that it was amusing, I guess. Yeah. It's funnier. It's it was funnier than like the B team's like impression of Wyatt and Hardy. I thought. Yeah. Uh, yeah. True. Low bar, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, I thought this was fun, Kyle. I mean, I, I miss Justin being on here, but it was kind of fun to just do a show like the old days here. So yeah, we we kind of bounced bounced all around there in the last little bit, but yeah, there was a lot to talk about tonight, man. Yeah, yeah. So hopefully you guys stayed tuned in until the end, or otherwise you're not hearing this anyways. But it was a good show, fun time. Uh, we will be back again um, for sure after Extreme Rules, possibly midweek as well, depending on what happens in the news and and on television this week. Um, Kyle mentioned his friend Brian. Was Brian wearing a Top Rope Nation T-shirt when you saw him last night, Kyle? No, he was wearing an Undertaker T-shirt, though. Oh, okay. The one that LeBron used to wear. The homage one. The homage. Yeah. I think I. I think I do own that one as well. I do. Yes. Want to know something? Want to know something about LeBron? What? Doesn't play for the Cleveland Cavs anymore. That is true. He does not. <laughs> LeBron's not going to the finals next year either, for the first time in a long time. No, he ain't. <laughs> now that team. Yeah. So the reason I brought that up is, guys, we have Top Rope Nation merchandise on TopRopeNation.com. Brian is one of our big supporters. All the t-shirts look really good. They're well-designed. They're pro wrestling t-shirts that you will not be embarrassed to wear in public. Top Rope Nation approved. Get those at TopRopeNation.com. You can see all of our, our past shows on there, of course. Our Twitter handles, you can find Kyle at, at TRPKyle. I am at Historical Ryan. Justin, who will be back next time, is at Justin Joint. And we are at Top Rope Nation. So we'll catch you guys next time with episode 65. Have a great week. Take care. Peace.